of the year. We uh, in Vacation Bible School, and I got to say this before I get started on the message today, how very proud I am of Missy and Penny and all those that uh, led us in, in our Vacation Bible School, all the hard work a lot of people put into that. I want to thank you for that, and I know that the reward in heaven is going to be great because uh, that was, I just walked around and greeted people, you know, and talked. Uh, these people who have decorated and taught and sang, and uh, that singing class, that's, that's enough to worry out. Boy, that's an exercise class. So it was a wonderful week. Um, God was honored, I'll tell you that, uh, right up until the very end. And then three guys in this church got pies in the face and in the hair and then ears and up the nose and it was everywhere so it was a good week and praise God for it I'm going to uh, I'm going to ask a real crazy question this morning what are you doing here don't you have somewhere else to be something else to do aren't there chores at home that could be getting done right now I mean, there's books to be read, movies to watch, television shows to, to have on. Why, why are you here? What would motivate you to get up in the morning, get all dressed up, and come to church? I mean, there's so many other things that could be on that agenda. What motivates you to turn the television off, to postpone the visit to the mall, and come to worship? I thought about that all week. I think some of you would say, it's a habit. It's a habit. I've been doing this for years, decades. It just is a habit. Now, now, not all habits are bad. There are good habits. We tend to speak of good habits as disciplines. So you say, well, this is one of my, my disciplines. It's like a good study habit, a proper exercise routine, good financial management, budgeting. These are good habits, good self-disciplines and attending worship is one of those good spiritual habits we come to church we come to worship because it's our habit to do so but there's something lacking in that answer habit it's a habit it's it's a discipline because when you first got saved it wasn't a discipline. It was something that you really had to probably work to to get into that routine, to get into that habit. It was a decision you made some time ago, and now you're reaping the benefit of it. Now that's, it's the right place. It's, it's the right thing to do, and, and that's why I do it. We, we made a decision somewhere in our past, and that became a discipline that we wanted to follow. So that's some of you have that as your answer. It's, it's my habit, it's my discipline, it's a part of me. Praise God for that. There may be others who come to worship because you're struggling with something. And you thought, if I come to church and I might hear something or you know, meet someone who might be able to help me, maybe we're grieving, we're hurting, that's a, a reason to come. A person who is lost, a person who is lonely, we all attend worship for different reasons. Some of you are here because you have a drug problem. You know, mom drug you to church and <laughs> she's bigger than you are, so you, you come to church. Maybe your wife made you come and maybe she's, well, 
happy life, happy wife, happy life. That's enough said. Why come to worship? Our scripture is Isaiah chapter 6. I want to invite you to turn to that. Uh, this is a great place to look for an answer to that question, why do I worship? This is a passage I often refer to in my counseling, and especially I refer to this in my prayers, personal and for others. It truly explains the what and the how of worship. And, and in this, I'm talking about corporate worship. That's what we do here today. Personal worship, that's what you do at home, in the car, wherever you are. Um, it's just worship. How and what is worship? So I'm going to ask you to stand with me just for a moment. We're going to read, I will read, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we gather here to worship you. You are a good God, a great God. And God, we want to lift up your name. You said if we lifted up your name, you'd draw all men to yourself. We pray, O oh God, that you would teach us your word. Open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths out of your law. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, for his sake and glory. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to go back to verse 1. In verse 1, we have... A reason that we come to worship. You might not have ever thought of this as a reason, but this truly is a reason. We come to worship to help us deal with life. One reason to come to worship in this sanctuary, in corporate worship, is so that we can deal with life outside of the sanctuary. A lot of people think that worship is uh, an escape from reality. But worship is not escape. Worship is a strategy to deal with the reality of life. True worship is something that happens in the midst of life. In our text, Isaiah begins the passage with a very interesting statement. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, here's what we have to understand. King Uzziah and Isaiah were friends. They had been working together for quite a while. They've done a lot of reformation in the nation. 
So they were very, very close. He was really missing his friend. That's why he came to the temple. The king had died. The statement is like, in the year that I, I lost my friend, I saw the Lord. See, life experiences, both good and bad, are times that we can see God. It's when things like this happen that God shows himself strong on the behalf of his people. For another person, it might have been the year that I got married, I saw the Lord. It was something wonderful that happened to me, and God really revealed himself to me in that. The year that my son was born, I can take you to the book of Genesis, where a man saw his son being born, and that's when he began to follow God. And he followed God so closely, God just took him right on up to heaven. These are things that are happening in life. It is when those things, that the, year, the day that I got the message that I had cancer, I saw the Lord. The day that I heard of that tragedy, I saw the Lord. That's what he's saying here. God shows up for us when we go through a difficult or a life-changing event. And the important thing is, where did Isaiah see him during this tragedy of his life? He said, I saw the Lord on his throne. Now, in the nation, when King Uzziah died, the throne was empty. Now, when the throne is empty, there's turmoil in the kingdom. Who's going to ascend to the throne? There's a lot of infighting that goes on. A lot of meetings are happening and people aren't grieving. They're just wondering, how are we going to get our guy on the throne? But when the king is on the throne, the kingdom is at peace because the king's not at war. He's not out dealing with things. He's on the throne. There's peace. But in this moment of Isaiah chapter 6, the king had died and there's no king on the throne. So God wanted Isaiah to quit looking at the earthly throne and begin to concentrate on the heavenly throne. Look up to heaven. See me on the throne, God says. God wants us to see that when the rest of your world may be in chaos, God says, I have everything under control. God wanted Isaiah and all of us to know that when our world seems to be falling apart, God is in complete control. He's on the throne. Worship in the sanctuary can never be oblivious to the, what's happening out there in your life, in your world. You bring your life and all that happens with you into worship. Why do we worship God? It's not to escape life out there, but it's to deal with that life out there. It helps to come and to lay our burden down. It helps to come and to share our problems and, and with others of faith. Do you know what the most important hour Sunday morning is? Do you, you want me to tell you? It's not 8.30. It's 9.30. Or what time does Sunday school start? <laughs> it's when Sunday school starts. Sunday school is the most important hour because you get to come in to hear. You just hear me talking. But in Sunday school, you get to respond. Anybody have prayer requests? You raise your hand. You say, you know what? Things aren't really going so well for me today. 
I really need your prayer. And people listen and people pray for you. That's why we come to worship. We come to share our problems with others of like faith. If you want your worship inside the sanctuary to be true worship, then you need to bring with you all the baggage of what's happening in your life. In the Old Testament, a psalmist, in Psalm 86, uh, verse 6 and 7, he says to God, he comes into the sanctuary and he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. See, he comes to the sanctuary to pray, to call out to God. We come here today, and when our life is burdened, we come to this altar, or we make an altar where we're sitting, and we just cry out to God. And the promise is, I will hear your prayer, and I will answer you. It's a natural part of worship to bring with you the concerns of your life. And we gather here and we bring in our fears of life, the worries of our family, the concerns of the world, and we lift them up in prayer and we seek God's guidance and comfort. We worship God because our lives are so full of concerns and issues and problems and worries. And we have to have some place to take them. So that's the first reason. The second reason is simply this. God is worthy of worship. That's why we worship God. That's why we come together here in this sanctuary. And Isaiah, the prophet, goes to the temple. And he says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. I had to look that up. I didn't understand what that was. But when a king, and, and especially of, of a great kingdom, they make him a train. It's, a, it's kind of a coat, you know, pins around the neck, and, and he has attendants who lay it out all around the throne. Well, his fills the entire temple. That's how glorious our God is. That's how wonderful it is. He's high. He's lifted up. It is in the presence of God, the very presence of God that fills our worship. True worship always focuses on God and his holiness. I love how this this story reads. Here's Isaiah. He's grieving his friend. He decides he's going to go to church. He's walking toward the sanctuary. And as he gets to the sanctuary, it's, it's open up to him. What's the first thing he notices? Not the angels, not the altar. The first and and central part of his focus is God. I hear people all the time, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. Well, we're going to play golf every day. We're going to play baseball every day. We're not going to want to do any of those things, beloved. God is going to be right there. High and lifted up, his train fills the temple. We're going to want to worship. We're going to be in his holiness. We have lost something of of the holiness of God in our worship. There was a time when people were so aware of of this aspect of worship that the churches themselves were being built that when you walk in, you go, oh, I I love this sanctuary. It it makes you want to go, oh, this is nice. You know, today's worship centers are um, studios. Cameras everywhere. I mean, we have cameras, but I mean, they have cameras everywhere, things going on, blinking lights and... If you go to Europe, 
go to the churches that were built, you know, 1,500, 1,600, 1,800 years ago. And you walk in and, and you just are, are awestruck of, of how, that's what they built them for. They, they wanted to reflect how they feel about their God when you walk in. It's difficult to go into one of those cathedrals without feeling awe and wonder. In, in, the, in recent years, theology and worship have emphasized the personal nature of God, the love of God, the joy of God. And that's good, it's, it's, it's right, but it, it's become a, to a degree that we've forgotten how awesome our God is. We've almost reformed God into that little buddy, somebody we pal around with. We've forgotten that God is such an awesome and holy God that to be in his presence, we're going to be filled with wonder. It's not that one concept of God is true and the other isn't. Both of them are true. He is an awesome, a holy, a wonderful, a high and lifted up God who wants a personal relationship with you, who loves you, who wants to give you joy. And since God is indeed all of these things, we worship God because he is worthy of worship. When the translators first translated into the English language, the word worship was translated as worth-ship. W-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P. Worth-ship. Because that's what worship is, showing God he is worthy of our time. Why did you come here? Don't you have other things to do? Yes, but God is more important. I come here to show to him, to my neighbors. My wife told me a story a long time ago. When she was little, she got sick at church. And she was being driven home by her mama um, during the church service. And she was, she was, she just couldn't believe people were out mowing the grass. They, they were out watering the flowers. They were out walking the dog. Why aren't they in church? She just thought everybody was in church. That's the way it ought to be. Because all of those things can get done anytime during the week. We need to say, God, you're worth it. You're worth my time. You're worth my worship. The third reason we should worship and come to worship is that, and I've struggled with this one, we experience the forgiveness of sin. Now, we don't receive it because we come to worship. Don't get me wrong. But this is where we feel it. This is where we can grasp it. Now, one of the reasons many may not feel inclined to come to worship is that they don't feel worthy enough. They don't feel that, they know that God deserves the worship. They know that God is holy, that God is high and lifted up. And, and they say, oh, I'm just not worthy to be in God's presence. Here, he, Isaiah comes into this, into the throne room of God and the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And immediately, what does the prophet, what is his first reaction to that worship service? Woe is me, for I am a sinful man. That's what he says. He, he says, woe is me. And he confesses his sinfulness. Beloved, you cannot come into the presence of a holy God without knowing 
you don't belong in the presence of a holy God. When Moses was confronted by God up on that mountain, he was in God's presence in that burning bush. He was afraid. When Jacob had that dream of the ladder going up and down between heaven and earth, he woke up and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And the Bible says he was filled with awe, with wonder. Time and again, when people are aware of the presence of God, the Bible describes an experience of one filled with fear. Why? Because as soon as you're aware of God's holiness, we can't help but become aware of our own unworthiness. When God says, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, as a people, we understand that. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And it's impossible to approach his presence without being aware of our own shortcomings, of our own sins. It's not for the grace of God, the mercy of God. It's a frightening thing. But rather than allowing that to lead us away from worship, it should be yet another reason that we come to worship. It goes back to number two, because he's worthy. He has forgiven me. He has made me, made it possible for me to come into his presence. It is in worship that we can begin to experience God's love. Experience God's mercy, God's forgiveness. In our worship, some element of the prayer of confession must almost always be present. We hear the word of God expounded. We hear the singing like we did this morning. And we say, oh God, do that. Fill me with your spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit says, but you have this sin. Oh, I confess that. Please forgive me of my sin. And the Holy Spirit can fill us. It it. it genders a, a time of confession. And what happens after our prayer of confession? The Bible promises that God will always forgive. When Isaiah the prophet, when he said, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I, I'm a member of unclean people, the angel comes down with a coal from the altar in the throne room of God and symbolically touches his lips and gestures and, and that is declaring that his sins are forgiven. We, we have a hot coal in the word of God. It, it's 1 John 1, 8, 9. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. That is why we worship. We need to hear that same message of the prophet Isaiah heard, thine iniquity is taken away, thy sin is purged. So we come to worship to experience that forgiveness, to feel that washing away of sin. I'm going to end this morning with number four. This is the result of our worship, and that is to serve God. When we worship God, our lives are going to be different. And the difference is going to be evident in terms of service to God. Worship at its best always motivates the worshiper to roll up his sleeves and to get to work. 
Worship will cause you to do something for the one that you're worshiping. A phrase that is commonly found in church bulletins, I've seen it on church signs, even on doorways as people come in and out of churches. You enter to worship and depart to serve. That is really the language of worship. In our text, the prophet Isaiah, he's in the temple worshiping God. He hears the call to worship, this angel singing, holy, holy, holy. He's moved to confess his sin, and following that, he has the forgiveness of sin. And he hears the word of God proclaimed, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And what follows is service, work, that rolling up of the sleeves and reaching out to others. In the text, the prophet says, here am I, send me. True worship will always result in service. We cannot enter the sanctuary to worship without departing into the world to serve. That is why we're here. That is why we came to worship. We came here in part to be challenged to do something out there. So the question for us today is not so much why do we worship or why do we come to church? The real question is what will we do when we leave this place of worship? What will I do? For the Lord who has forgiven me. For this Lord who is high and lifted up. For this Lord who is worthy of worship. What can I do for him? The prophet Isaiah was sent to speak a message to his people. What is God going to send you out to do? What is God calling you to do this week? Maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to love a little bit more. Maybe there's somebody in the community you need to reach out a little bit harder to. Who is it that you know of that is not coming to worship and you need to invite them? We started by asking the question, why are we in worship? Well, the main reason we come to worship is to discover the answer to this question. What do we do after we worship? What is God calling me to do? And it's a hard question to answer. We can spend a whole lot of time debating, you know, I'm not going to be a preacher. I'm not going to be a teacher. I'm not going to... And maybe God just wants you to knock on the neighbor's door. Have a, have a time to just talk to them. One of your coworkers might be a little bit sad. Watch their countenance, you know, when they're, they're feeling down and say, hey, something going on, something wrong. God is calling you to do something this week. And here's the interesting thing. Each and every week, it'll be something different. It'll be someone different. It could be just picking up something from the tree and going to the Walmart. That's going to make a big impact somewhere in our world. That's what you can do for the Lord. It doesn't have to be a big, high, holy thing. It can be something as simple as that. Something as simple as greeting a neighbor. Whatever God calls you to do, when you hear him say, Who shall I go? Who shall go to that neighbor? Who's going to go to that coworker? Who's, who's going to pick that stuff up? Whatever God says, just remember to answer the way Isaiah did. Hear my Lord.
send me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that we have a lot to do in this world, and, and there's a lot of lost people. We need to be witnesses for them. We need to take the word to them. We need to get the gospel into our neighborhood, into our city, into our county, into our state, into our world. God, there's a lot that can be done. So we, we say to you, O oh God, as we end this worship, what is it that you would have us to do? Here am I, send me. God, whatever your direction is, let your Holy Spirit speak to us clearly, loudly, so that we have no doubt. Because you've prepared the heart of that person you're sending us to. Help us to be your ministers in this community and in the world beyond it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.